Good morning. Don't let the first service out do you. Try that again. Good morning. That, that was pretty good. Okay, okay. I'm getting my clock set. That's a good thing. You should be happy about that. Um, you know, the, I've heard before that the posterior cannot withstand what the stomach is hungry for. So we'll get you guys out of here so you can go eat uh, here in a little bit. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege to, to be here uh, with you guys. It's a great uh, privilege and opportunity to, to come and speak to you, especially today here on the, on the 35th anniversary of Spring Valley Baptist. Um, and I also want to give an apology, especially to the choir. I don't have a second set of jokes. So you have to suffer through those. I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry, men over there. Um, but uh, when, when I got the, the message about what this day was going to be and what the theme was, I was really excited to see that the theme for today was to tell the next generation. Because it's so easy to kind of look back on the past. And it's been a great past, absolutely. Um, but to settle there and say, that was great then. But what about the future? And going forward, and that it's not just about what has happened, but what is going to happen. We need to tell the next generation. So I was excited about that. That's really what I what, what I want to focus on um, this morning with you. Um, so, what are we going to tell the next generation about? Maybe a better question I would ask is, who will we tell? the next generation about. Um, We're going to look at Psalm 113 uh, primarily today as our text, but let me ask you as we get going here, what's something that you ever shared with someone that you were really excited about? Something that you just, you didn't even have to, you didn't have to plan to tell anybody, you just wanted to tell them because you were, you were so excited about it. Um, You know, some of your younger folks are Older folks think back. Uh, maybe it was maybe it was this date. You finally asked somebody out, and they said yes, and you were really excited about that. Um, you know, maybe it was a promotion. You worked really hard at your job, and you finally got a promotion uh, that you've been looking for. You were really excited about. For those of us who are parents, uh, whenever we had our first child, um, and to hold them, it was just an amazing experience. Like I, I want to tell people about this. And even you middle children, we still want to tell them about, about you too. So you go, brud. That's right. That's right. My middle, my, my oldest brother's a middle child. Um, and we love him still. But <laughs> you, just, you just can't help it. For me, one of the experiences in my life that I just, I just kind of happened to tell people, I didn't have to think about it, I didn't have to plan about it, it just bubbled out of me was when I got engaged as a senior in college. And I did everything I could to make this a big surprise so that, so that, uh, you know, that Haley wouldn't know. And so it was, uh, just kind of sat her down and asked her if she married me. And I was really excited because this was my first engagement. And she, she looked at me and she just started crying. And I was like, are these tears of happiness or of sadness? Because you're about to tell me no. And, and she didn't say anything. She just kind of sat there crying. And I was like, okay, I was kind of uncomfortable for a little bit. So I finally said, all right, can you just, you know, nod or shake your head? You know, I just need something. And, and it wasn't really helpful because she did this. And it was just kind of all over. And I was like, oh. And she finally squeaked out a yes, but, but throughout, especially that next week, whenever I would go to my class or whenever I'd run into somebody, I, I just sort of knew in my dorm, uh, people I'd just see in the dining hall, it just naturally came out, hey, I got engaged. And what was so exciting to me wasn't just say, okay, yeah, I'm going to get married, this is great, but what was most exciting to me wasn't the what of, of me getting engaged, but it was the who. That I got Haley. She was going to be my wife. That's what I was most excited about. 
And I'm so thankful that back then there wasn't social media and there was no Insta, Insta Snapchat, chat tweet or whatever it is that I, could, I had the privilege of getting to tell people like face to face. That was so much better that I, I got to do that. It was so much more enjoyable. For the life of this church, it's the same idea is that it's not so much what are we going to tell the next generation, but more who are we going to tell the next generation about? I think that's what's most important. Let's go quickly. Uh, I don't have much time, but let's look at Psalm 113. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. 1 through 3. And we're going to get a little interactive here. So, you know, perk up. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The name of the Lord is to be praised. So let me ask you this question. What is something, what, and you guys are ready, right? What does a servant of the Lord do? There you go. Okay, all right. Now, in the first service, they said that they were the men, and we say with that, but, but you know, I, I was informed, you know, the tenor's the one that's carried the tune. So what do the servants of the Lord do? There you go. Amen. Okay, and you guys can get on in this too, okay? We'll get there. I mean, we already know the ladies got this. I don't think you turn to them. They know this. Um, that's what we are to do. The servants of the Lord are supposed to praise the Lord. And you may already know this. You may not consciously know it, but subconsciously you know this, that people naturally praise. People naturally worship. We all do. Whether you believe God exists or you don't believe in God exists, everybody worships whether they want to admit it or not. If you've ever gone to a concert and the band's coming up on stage and everybody's there so excited, they pay their money, they're so excited, the band starts playing their favorite song, they're jumping up and down, they're waving their hands, they're screaming. There's excitement there. There's worship that's happening in that moment, okay? People go to movies, especially this year, one of the largest years ever for movies. People go to movies, there's this sense of worship. I was telling them earlier, I remember in 1999 when uh, Star Wars Episode One came out, I was so excited. I didn't tell the first service, I'm kind of embarrassed. I saw it 11 times in theater. That was really bad. <laughs> there was worship going on. I was so excited because the first time I went there, I was like, I'm going to get to see a Star Wars movie in the theater that I don't know the ending of. That was really exciting. And then I was let down. And every time I saw it, I thought it was going to get better, and it didn't. But that's okay. So when people go to see episode 7 here in a few weeks, there's going to be some worship going on. Just when I mean, People are going to clap when the Lucasfilm Limited logo. They won't clap at a logo, people. That's worship. That is worship. Obviously, one of the things we worship in our culture is money. I don't have to talk to you about sports. We see the worship that goes on there. People, we're just, we're made to worship and we naturally do it. We naturally do it. When are we supposed to worship the Lord? What does the text say? In verse 3, it says, From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. What does the servant of the Lord do? Good. There's going to be some more of those, so just don't fall asleep on me, okay? From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, that's when we're supposed to praise God. And especially in this culture, with no electricity, when the sun set, you went to bed. Basically, your waking life, that is when you praise the Lord. And that may seem kind of strange, some of us, how to do it all the time, but let's be honest. Who talks to you the most throughout the day? 
Who talks the most to you throughout the day? And I bet I have the answer. I'd say that you talk to yourself the most during the day. Because you have this stream of consciousness that's running through your mind as you speak to yourself and tell yourself things. And counselors and psychologists make tons of money to help us think through our self-talk. But we talk to ourselves all the time in our mind. In your self-talk, how, how often does, does God come up? How often do, do you think about the Lord? Do you, do you talk to him? Do you pray for something? Do you thank him? Do you glorify him? How much does that pop up in your self-talk? Because we all talk to ourselves, right? right? Ladies, you all talk to ourselves? We do this? Yes? Okay. Y'all are with me? Good. Okay. It's weird because there's some back here. Okay. All right. We always do that. And we get the chance to praise the Lord all the time. And even in our self-talk is one of those special times where we get to, where we get to do that. In working with college students, what I've, what I've come to, to learn, it, I, I was able to figure this out pretty quickly, is that when I would meet with students, I would ask them questions, and they knew a lot of answers to the what's. Okay, what am I supposed to do? What am I not supposed to do? What does a Christian believe? What does a Christian not believe? They, they could get a lot of those answers right. But where they couldn't answer were the why questions. Well, why am I supposed to do this, though? Why am I not supposed to do that? And it, and it became apparent to me that the whys built the foundation of the whats. And if, and if the foundation wasn't there, it crumbled. Well, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I want because I don't know what the why is. It's not really that important. I just do whatever I want. And we're pretty good at looking for excuses to justify to do what we want to do, right? Um, I'm an expert. Perhaps you are, too. I don't have a degree, but... Um, my wife can prove to you that I do a pretty good job every day of my life uh, rationalizing what do I want to do. What are the whys? Why are we supposed to do these things? Why should we praise the Lord? Well, let's look at verses 4 through 6 real quick. It says, The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? We just don't get how big, how amazing, how awesome the God of the Bible is. We really don't. We really don't. No president, no king, no dictator, no parliament or legislature, no one can touch him. He's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to be who he is. Regardless of what they think or what you and I think, it doesn't matter God doesn't live on a cloud. He doesn't live in outer space. He's beyond all of that. His throne is above the earth, the heavens. There is nothing else, no one else like him. And that's one of the reasons I think sometimes we struggle with that is because it's uncomfortable. We want God to be more like us. We want him to be more manageable, more, more relatable to us because it's, it's not a place of, of discomfort. That he's so much bigger and greater and we really struggle. How do I handle that? How do we handle that? But God is that big. He is the creator. We are the creation. There is a difference. There's a binary system set up where he exists outside of our world. Because he is so much greater above it. He made it. And that is so super important. We sang a song earlier about God being our redeemer. And that is so important. All throughout the Bible we see where he is our redeemer. But if you look closely, 
in almost every place that God is called Redeemer, right before it, it says Creator. He is our Creator and Redeemer. Those two things go hand in hand. You cannot separate them. He has set up this system. He's so much greater than us. These verses attest to it, but yet look at verses 7 through 9. It says, He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. If you look at Colossians 1, Colossians 1, and if you're familiar with it, there's this great passage that just, it's just so dense with the greatness of who Jesus is in particular. And in Colossians 1, verses uh, 16, it says that for him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, through him and for him. That Jesus is ultimately, he's also the creator. He is God. He's the one who creates. Before time began, he did that. He is the one that Psalm 113 is speaking of. He created this, and yet, as great and as magnificent and powerful as he is, He's also with us. You know, we're going to celebrate Christmas here in a few weeks. And one of the things we talk about sometimes at Christmas is that he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. That even though he's so great, he's so high, he's so majestic, so outside of our realm, he would come to live in and among us. Think about how amazing heaven is. And he would be born in a stable with smelly animals. And he would live a life of poverty that you and, you and I just can't imagine. They would do that. It should boggle our mind. No one else, no one else outside of Christianity has a God that even touches this idea of being majestic, being, being so far above us, what, what theologians would call transcendent. He's so transcendent above us, and yet they would say he's imminent. He's with us. He's among us, that he cares, that he would get in the nuts and bolts of our daily lives. No one else has anything like that. We can't imagine a God like that in of our own. Also in Colossians 1, in verses 17 through 18 of Colossians 1, it says that in him, speaking of Jesus, in him all things hold together, and he is the head of, of the body, the church. Think about this. It says in him all things hold together. You know, if Jesus took one second off, if Jesus took one second off, our atoms would just split. They still don't understand why neutron particles in an atom hold together. It makes no sense. If Jesus took a moment off, the whole thing's done. In him, all things hold together. He is involved in our lives that he even cares about us. Well, who does he care about? Verses 7 through 9, I, can't, I don't have time to unpack all these specifically, but the general idea is this, that God cares for the needy. God cares for the needy. And maybe you realize this and maybe you don't, but guess what? You're the needy. I'm the needy. We are the needy. We don't have it all together. No matter how hard we try, no matter what work we put in, we are the needy. We often forget that. And if we, rec if we fail to recognize our need for him, we just kind of move on and we kind of forget that he's there oftentimes. And he has the discipline us to bring us back. And that's usually a very painful situation. 
We, in some form or fashion, are the people that are described in verses 7 through 9. It says in the Bible in Psalms and then in 1 Peter 5, it says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if we are prideful people, God's going to oppose us. And that's just not a place that I want to be. But who does he give grace to? The humble, those who recognize their need before him and ask him. The main idea of what I want you to get coming out today is this, that since God alone, he should be our primary recipient of praise. You know, we're going to, there's going to be some form or fashion where we worship other things, but Jesus, he should be our primary recipient of praise, and therefore, we need to know why he's our primary recipient of praise, and we need to act on it. I'll tell you a quick story uh, of, of a coach who who walked into his locker room and saw his team down and, and realized that he needed to dance. He needed to do something to energize that team. And of course, the guy I'm talking about is Mark Few, the head basketball coach at Gonzaga. He walked into his uh, locker room after uh, an NCAA tournament win, and the guys are just sitting there. They're just sitting there. It's like, this was a big win. You guys need to be excited. And he started, he started dancing for him. He did some handstands, which was pretty impressive for a guy of his age. And he, he was trying to get him upset. You've got to celebrate this. This is awesome. He was later asked, well, why did you do that? And he said, those guys, they were just sitting there. They were somber like they were in church. Is that what the world thinks about? Our God is so awesome, he deserves this. Right? I mean, if we could capture some of us, myself included, in front, of a, in front of a TV screen during a football game, we're not like this, right? Does God deserve more? Absolutely he does. Is coming to church or doing things with the church, is it a duty? Are you going through the motions? Are you excited about this is the God, the creator of the universe, and for some strange reason that I can't quite put my finger on, he actually cares about me. Think about that. He actually cares about you because I don't mean to burst your bubble, but you don't deserve it. And I don't deserve it. All our, our special little snowflakes on college campus who've gotten trophies for everything they've ever done in their lives, I hate to tell, but they don't deserve it either. God would care about us for no other reason than he wants to. We don't deserve it. And yet, look at who he is, the high, the mighty, the awesome God. And we are a needy people who need to be saved. We are lost without Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ would come, even though we don't deserve it, into this world. And he would live the perfect life that you and I have so utterly, terribly failed to live. The life that ultimately pleases God. And yet, what did that get him? It didn't get him this kingship. It got him killed. And yet he would offer to switch places with us. That the horrible death that he died, he would switch places with us so that would be counted to us and that God could give us the right standing before him that Jesus deserved. That is an amazing God. That's a God we're telling other people about, is it not? What does a servant of the Lord do? I'll wake up a little bit. That's good. Okay. We have the best message of anyone on this earth to tell other people. Do you know what eternal life is? Do 
you know what eternal life is? What a lot of people think of it as. You're, you look like a fat baby. You're sitting on a cloud, playing a harp. That's eternal life. That's heaven. No, that's not the picture at all. If you look at John 17, 3, Jesus tells us, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God. It's a relationship with God. I got my wife, Haley. We as the church, we get Jesus. That's what Ephesians 5 is all about. We get Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. I could do that 33 more times, so it equal 35, but y'all are hungry. I'm not going to do it. What is going to motivate us to tell the next generation about the Lord? If we don't think God is great, we're not going to do it. I love these guys. Okay, go for the challenge. I hate to tell you that, but it's just that easy. If we are not excited about what Jesus has done, we will not tell the next generation. If we think we deserved what Jesus did for us, we will not tell the next generation. No church program, no budget item, no growth strategy, no piece of technology, no cool music song is going to do it. Those things are fine. Those are good. But if that's all there is, if... Let me tell you about who, how great my God is. If that's not a part of it, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And I can tell you from my experience with this generation on campus, college campuses, they hate fraud. What they're looking for is something that is authentic. And they can see right through, right through hypocrisy. And if we cannot give them something authentic, they will not listen. If we're going to tell the next generation, it's got to come from the heart. And Dr. Wimburn can do great preaching up here. We can sing some great songs that Rick's going to bring up. But if we in our daily lives, in our self-talk, if we are not praising the Lord, because what does the servant of the Lord do? If we're not doing that, they don't want to hear it. I love this church. And I don't want it to be a monument. And it's not yet. And I pray it never will be. The only way we're going to prevent that, and not just to search any church, is if we love God. And the only reason we love God, as it says, because he first loved us. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. i got to wrap this up. I really don't want to, but think about what he has done for us. Really? Maybe you don't think he's done that much for you. But I beg you to think, if, 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 if you don't believe it, you can never make yourself right with God on your own. But it says that Jesus, who had no sin, he became sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can have the right standing before God. No one else offers that. If you don't believe that, if you didn't believe that walking through those doors, I pray that you would when you leave. And we're going to sing a song here in a minute, I Surrender All, where you get a chance to do that. I would love for you to come to talk to Dr. Wimburn up front. And he would love to tell you more about that. There is no God out there, okay? There's no program, there's no sports team, there's no institution, there's no job that merits the work, the bulk work of your life. More than God does, more than Jesus Christ. And we recognize the folks, and it's, a, it's an amazing thing to think about the, 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 the men and women that have been sent out from this church, specifically out of that youth group, to, to, to minister. But let me tell you who my heroes are. My heroes are like my dad. People who get up every day 
and go to a job at 6, 7, 8, 9 a.m., work till 5 or 6, or however long they have to, they do the day-to-day stuff. We call them lay people. Those are my heroes. You would do the day-to-day stuff, and you would praise God in the midst of your day-to-day life, the mundane job, whatever it is. That's ultimately how God is going to reach this world, is through people in their daily lives living out the gospel. I don't care where your job is. You can do it. You have the chance. But the only way you're going to do it is if you think that God is great enough. And that's going to change you and motivate you. I hate crying. So I'm going to stop. But kid, it's the one thing that this church did that was so great for me and for others that came, especially through this group. Dr. Wimburn did a great job of this, was grounding us in the Bible. You've got to get in the Bible. You got to, you're not going to think God's great if you don't know who he is. And the only place you're going to know about who God is is from his word. You've got to get into it. We have to get into it. That's the only place. Listen, I love you guys. I'm so great to come back. I have no great way to wrap this up because I've gone off script. But I love you. I pray that Jesus Christ will continue to glorify himself and that we as a people will continue to tell the next generation something that is worth hearing about. And that's Jesus Christ. What does the servant of the Lord do? Praise Lord. Dear God, thank you so much that you are amazing, that you would care about us, that you don't need us, but yet for some reason you choose to love those whom you call your own. God, would you please glorify yourself through us? Would you make your name great among the people of Columbia throughout the nations as we grow to appreciate, live out the truth of who you are, that you would be the greatest thing in our life. You would be the one who earns, who you've already earned it, but that we would give you your proper place of having the primary result of praise and worship in our lives. God, would you do that? It's the only way we're going to have another 35 years. Please, would you make that happen? In Jesus' name, amen.